Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, and uh, with Amy Hudson, who I think is here this morning, uh, we do gospel ministry over on the campus of UAB, and we'd love to tell you about that. Um, if you'd love to, if you'd like to talk to us about what we do over at UAB, and uh, also we would love for you to pray for us as we try to do gospel ministry on college campus this fall in a very changing landscape. It's a, Strange time for all of us, and uh, campus ministers are not left out of that. Um, But it's great to open God's Word with you this morning. We're looking at Psalm 75, and I'm going to read it, and then we can get into it. This is Psalm 75. It says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing to you, Lord Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you ever feel like life is unfair? About 10 years ago, uh, there was a man and a woman robbing Walmarts around the city of Greenville, South Carolina. And This man and woman had a getaway car, and it was a black Jeep Cherokee. And this black Jeep Cherokee was registered to 30 Knoxbury Terrace, where this man and woman had previously lived, but they had moved out since they started their uh, robbery spree. Who did live at 30 Knoxbury Terrace? Adam and Lisa Venable lived there. And we also happened to drive a black Jeep Cherokee. And so the powers that be decided that I was the one who must have been robbing these Walmarts in the midst of doing youth ministry in Greenville. And my wife was a pediatrician in Greenville. I had time to rob, uh, rob these Walmarts, the powers that be decided. And it, it, was a, it was a very difficult time, a very difficult season for uh, our marriage and our life together because of this. Hundreds of dollars in lawyer fees and uh, just, uh, I don't know, emotional trauma, is that the right word to use? And I remember crying out to God, God, this isn't fair, what's happening to us, it's not fair. Or think about this, if you're a mother and you're up at 2 a.m. feeding a, a crying, hungry child, and it's you know the the hundredth night or the three hundredth night that you've had to do this. Often your job is thankless. 
Uh, but if you happen to be able to kick a soccer ball across a field or hit a baseball really well, you get paid millions of dollars and your name is on TV and uh, you're famous and everyone loves you. Uh, life is unfair sometimes. Or think about this. Have you ever t- taken the time to, to get the perfect gift for someone, for your child or for your friend? And you've uh, taken time and money and uh, to get this gift, and you give it to this person, your child or your friend, and they don't appreciate it, and they're not thankful for it, and they don't, they don't even like the gift. Life is unfair sometimes. And what God wants to tell us this morning from Psalm 75 is that when life is unfair, God wants us to thank him and to remember that Jesus Christ is near and he judges fairly. When life is unfair, God wants us to thank him because Jesus is near to us and because he judges fairly. So first, let's look at Thanksgiving. This psalm starts out like many do. Have you ever noticed how a lot of the psalms start the same way? They're thanking God for something. And the psalms were meant to be prayed and sung, not just during the good times, but also during bad times. But nonetheless, many of them start out thanking God. And most people agree that we should give thanks to God. Uh, You don't have to be a Christian to think that we should thank God for stuff, right? Muslims thank God for things, and Jews thank God for things, and um, religious people across the South are thankful to God. Um, However, the Bible says that in general, we actually don't thank God the way that we should. Um, Instead, we tend to use God's name as an exclamation point at the end of a sentence. Or we run and we hide from God. Or we use God's name to justify treating people badly. But nonetheless, God promises that thanking him is powerful. It's transformative. And so God wants us to thank him, not just to express the way that we feel to him, right? Sometimes we thank him to express what's already inside us. But God is inviting us to thank him when life feels unfair to form in us joy and hope and thanksgiving. In other words, we can come to God with not a lot of thanks in our hearts. But as we thank him, he begins to form in us the thing that he wants to see uh, made in us, which is a heart full of joy and hope and thanksgiving for him. And so God invites us to thank him. Why should we thank God according to this, this psalm? And he says because his name is near. Because his name is near. And for the Hebrews, this was very important. Do you remember where God's name was in the Old Testament? God had put his name in the tabernacle, in the temple. God's name was his presence. And God had put his presence into Israel in order to do what? What was the point of God's presence in Israel? It was to protect Israel from their enemies. That's what God's name did. It was to make their crops and their families flourish. It was to give Israel joy and intimate connection with the God of the universe. That's why God put his name into Israel. And the Bible says that God is both transcendent and near to us. Um, Sometimes religious people, they talk about God like God is holy and big and other. And that's why we should thank him. And the Bible says that God is big. He's not like us. He's transcendent. But the Bible also says that God has come near. 
St. Augustine said that God is nearer to you than your inmost thoughts are to yourself. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus is God come near to us. He is God tabernacling amongst us. Jesus said that he came to make the name of God known to me and to you. And what God wants us to know when life is unfair, we should thank him because Jesus is near to us. And he knows what it feels like to be treated unfairly. No one was ever treated with more injustice. No one was ever treated more unfairly than Jesus Christ himself. He was accused of things that he did not do. When Jesus uh, gave his all for Israel, he loved them. They responded only with hate and they murdered him. Jesus is near to those who've been treated unfairly, which means we can go to him and talk to him about it. We can tell him about it. Jesus Christ is near, and he also judges fairly. Um, It talks about his wondrous deeds, and it says, At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. What is equity? Equity is just fairness. God has promised to judge with equity and with fairness. And when life seems unfair, it's wondrous to know that there is a judge who will judge with fairness. The world does not get to appoint the time to judge you. The world doesn't get to say who you are and who you aren't. The world doesn't get to add your life up and put a verdict on your life. The world doesn't have that right. Only Jesus Christ has the right to do that. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 12, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus is the judge. Christians have affirmed for 2,000 years in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he, Jesus, will come to judge the world, uh, to judge the living and the dead. And so when you don't receive what you've earned, when you don't get your due, it is wondrous to know that there is someone who will judge with fairness and with equity. And if Jesus is the only judge, that means that we don't have to give that power to anybody else. And when we do give the power to judge us to somebody else, we're really robbing Jesus of his glory. How do you know when you have given the power uh, over to judge your life to to someone else? How do you know that? Um, You know that uh, when something like this happens. You know, you give that gift to your child. you, uh, you You spend all the time and the money, and they're not thankful. And you respond by losing your temper and flying off the handle and saying things that you shouldn't say to your children. That's when you know you've given them the power to be judged. And you've robbed Jesus of his glory. Only he gets to do that. Or um, there's so many other examples. Um, Every time in your life where you give someone else the power to decide... Uh, whether, whether you are good or bad, that's when you've given them the power to be judged in your life. Only Jesus can do that. How does Jesus judge? Um, when life is unfair, God wants us to thank him. Remember that Jesus is near. He's the judge. How does he do it? How does he judge? 
Um, it says that the earth totters and all its inhabitants. It is I, this is God talking right now. It's I, God, who steadies its pillars. And what I want you to see is that Jesus judges slowly. It's slow. He doesn't fly off the handle, but he judges slowly. Um, And the first way you see it is that when the earth is full of chaos and violence and injustice and people being treated unfairly, God doesn't fly off the handle and just obliterate the world. Instead, he holds it up, it says, with these pillars. He steadies the world. Even after the worst injustices in human history, life basically returns to normal. Why is that? It is because God loves the world. He loves it. He hasn't given up on it. He's holding the pillars up. Why? In order to warn the world. He wants to warn the world. Look what he says. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. So the image here is that the wicked are this wild ox. And this ox, uh, its neck is haughty and high like this, and its horns are high, because the wicked, this wild ox, it thinks it's got, it has what it takes to command the landscape. The wicked believe that they don't need anybody or anything because they have all the wisdom and all the righteousness they need in and of themselves, and their neck is haughty and their horns are high. And God says, don't do that. Don't be like that. What does it mean to have a haughty neck? It means to live like you don't need Jesus. Who are the wicked? The wicked are those who live and believe that they don't need Jesus. They've got everything in themselves to make life work. And if you live like you don't need Jesus, God has a warning. It's verse 8. If you live like you don't need Jesus, God's warning is that in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. And he pours out from it all the wicked of the earth shall drain uh, drain down to the dregs. God says, if you live like you don't need Jesus... There there will be a cup that you must drink. And it is the cup of the wrath of God. And something very, very strange. You know, you never know what Jesus is going to say. He says things that are strange. And in the New Testament, something really strange starts to happen. Because in the New Testament, Jesus starts to talk like he's the one who's going to be drinking this cup for the wicked. Um, He says in Matthew 20, Jesus says, Are you able to drink the cup? that I'm going to drink. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, he's praying to God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus has a cup for the wicked when he returns. But Jesus is slow to judge. He's slow because he knows what that cup tastes like. He has tasted that wine and its bitterness. And therefore, he is slow to give it out. I'm told that in some places, policemen, in order to get the capacity to carry a taser and use it, they have to first experience being tased. 
so that those policemen are slow to use it. And Jesus Christ, because he has tasted the cup of the wrath of God, he is slow to give it up. Because he is merciful and kind. In John 12, Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And you might be thinking, Adam, you said that Jesus is the judge, and now you're saying he's not the judge, and he just wants to save the world. That doesn't make sense. And this is what I would say, is that God appointed Jesus the judge when he rose from the dead. Jesus always loved uh, other people. He always loved God, and therefore he rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him, and so God appointed him judge of all humanity. And he is faithful to execute that office. He is going to do it. He's promised to. But it's not what he wants to do. It's not his heart of hearts. The deepest desire of Jesus and of God is to save and to be merciful and and, and kind. And not to pour out his wrath on, on mankind, but to save mankind and to rescue it. That's why he wants to warn the wicked. In Romans, what does it say? That at the right time, Jesus died for the righteous. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. In Romans, it says at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. It's the ungodly that Jesus came to die for. It's the wicked who deserve the cup of wrath that Jesus came to drink it for. God is saying when life seems unfair, don't try to live like you don't need Jesus because you do. And there will be a cup that you must drink if you live like you don't need Jesus to drink the cup for you. And if Jesus is slow to give out this wrath, if he's slow to judge, uh, what, is he, what does he really want to do? It says at the end of the psalm that the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. How does Jesus lift us up? Jesus lifts up the horns of the righteous by drinking the cup of wrath that I deserve and the cup of wrath that you deserve. And he gives to us the cup that he deserves. What cup does Jesus deserve to drink? What cup would be fair to give to the Son of God who died for the sins of the world? The cup of blessing is the cup that the Father has for his Son. And he has promised that that is the cup for you if you are in Christ. The cup of blessing. And in the Bible, it's not really normal for wine to symbolize wrath. I mean, culturally, that doesn't make sense. You don't uh, drink wine, uh, I, I don't know, you don't get together and have anger parties and drink wine. No, you drink wine to celebrate. You drink wine uh, in moments of joy, in, in occasions of joy. And that's how God exalts and lifts up the righteous. Is that, is that fair? Is it fair to lift up the righteous? In other words, have the righteous done anything to deserve being lifted up? Because the wicked, if they live like they don't need Jesus, if the wicked continually reject Jesus' advances, then they deserve the cup of wrath. Do the righteous deserve the cup of blessing? Have they done anything? And the Bible says over and over, no. But then how is that really fair? How is it fair to, for God to be merciful that way? Is that really equity? 
And at the end of the day, I think the Bible says that no. It's not fair the way that humans define fairness. We define fairness like, well, look, you did something for me, and therefore I'll do something for you. But think about the Trinity for a minute, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In eternity, does the Father love the Son because the Son has loved the Father? In other words, in eternity is the Son earning God's love and the Father earning the love of the Son. That's not how it works at all. The Father is disposed to love His Son before He ever earned it, before He ever did anything to deserve it. The judgment of Jesus on you and I, it's not fair. It's full and running over with grace and mercy. And God says, who are you to tell me what's fair? Who are you to tell me what I can do with my mercy and my grace? I can give it out to as many as I want. Um, I can give it out to, to more than humanity ever would because I'm the one in my grace that gets to, to define fairness. When life isn't fair, uh, God wants us to give thanks to him because Jesus is near to us and he knows what it's like to be treated unfairly. And to remember that Jesus Christ will judge us fairly. Not because we deserve it, but because he is full of grace and mercy. And even his fairness is full of love. So let's pray that uh, he would do that in our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Um, We do confess to you that we often live lives without thanking you and kind of go on our own way. So we pray that you would lift our eyes to your son, the Lord Jesus, his promise that he's near us, nearer to us than our inmost thoughts. Heavenly Father, would you help us to to trust in you who promised to judge the world with fairness and with grace and mercy, that we might begin to treat others that way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.